Um, how many here have ever Googled what your name means? You can put your hands up if you want. Oh, not that many. Okay, I guess like if you're a little older, how many of you have looked up in a book what your name means? <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm sure you all have at some point, and if you didn't, your parents probably did. Um, for some reason, my dad was dead set on giving me a name that nothing, he was like, nothing rhymes with Eric, uh, which isn't true, because there are things that rhyme with Eric. I think like barbaric Eric, that's pretty Viking. Um, but he was convinced, like, it's hard to make fun of a name when nothing rhymes with it. But what my dad failed to realize is you could just add an A on the end of my name. So when I was growing up, everyone called me Erica, um, which is a great name, but you could still make fun of any name. But my dad went this crazy stress to make sure that I wouldn't get made fun of for my name. And I actually quite enjoy my name. Um, but if you go to a bookstore for the older generation, or if you look online, there's hundreds of websites that uh, help you find a meaningful name, right? A wonderful, beautiful name. And people stress over it like crazy. And my brother and his wife, Amanda, they are naming their kids with the most insane spelling. Like everyone's just like, it's like they add a Y into every name. So I hope my brother listens to this one day. Um, I, they're funny. It's, it's weird to me that people are just like changing names. Like, well, yeah, it's a normal name, but it's spelled differently. Um, and it just makes your life hard. But names are important. They stick with you for your, your entire life, unless you legally change it when you're allowed to. Um, they end up on your tombstone. Names are important. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because names in um, ancient Israel, in Hebrew, uh, were a lot more important than they are in our North American culture. Um, so some like common names in the Old Testament, Noah, his Hebrew name means peace and rest. Um, Jacob means trickster, which is very fitting for his entire life. Um, and my name, apparently, I looked it up um, before this sermon. My name means all ruler <laughs> or honorable ruler. So I was like, hey, I actually like that. Um, why am I saying all this? Because I want to focus on um, a prophet named Micah today. And Micah's name, um, I actually really like what it translates to. And it ties into my sermon, which is why I'm starting with this. But his name in Hebrew translates to who is like the Lord, who is like God. So his birth certificate, which they didn't have back then, translates to a question. And it's quite fitting because that exact question is what Micah wrestled with during his time as a prophet. Um, as a prophet, he directly challenged false gods, wealthy oppressors, false prophets, corrupt religious leaders, who misrepresented God, and as a leader, he invited um, people to embrace a life that marvels at God, but more importantly, a life that mirrors God's character. So Micah's goal for God's people was to help them live in a way that pleases God. So what does it look like to please God, and what does God expect of us? And Micah lays that out in chapter 6. I'm going to read a, two quick verses, Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. These are my favorite verses. I might probably in the whole Bible. So that's why I chose to preach on it today. But I think they'll be up on the screen and I'm reading from the NLT. Micah 6 verses 6 to 8. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? 
Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Um, when Micah wrote this passage, uh, it was during uh, and surrounding the empires of the 8th century, um, at least that's what historians and scholars believe. And at this time, sacrifices uh, would have been very common. They're not common in North America, and I'm grateful for that because I really love animals. So I don't think I'd be able to actually sacrifice an animal. Um, but it was a religious uh, tradition, both for the Hebrew God and the gods of the near nations. So Micah gives this list of extreme sacrifices. Um, and you might not notice it because we're not ancient Israelites, but he's using humor here. Um, and he's exaggerating. And his jokes, I think, would have resonated better with his ancient audience. But if somebody had a thousand rams or 10,000 rivers of olive oil, they'd probably be the richest person in the world. So he's greatly exaggerating these insane sacrifices. And then it goes from extravagant to morbid. Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? It sounds a little extreme, but it's unfortunately not unheard of. Um, so in this era, child sacrifice... Uh, was an accepted um, sacrifice for the surrounding nations um, that surrounded Judea. And also, I, I've done like a weird amount of research on this lately. Um, my wife thinks it's a little weird, but I've actually looked up on if Israel, if sacrificed children, and the scholars believe that some Israelites would have done the same thing. So Micah is listing these sacrifices that would have been very common and very important sacrifices and he's saying, that's not what God wants. Thankfully, Micah challenges these practices by saying, God cares far more about your character than your rituals. And that's what verse eight sums up. What does God expect of us? To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God's not expecting um, the world's best worship service, thankfully, or else I wouldn't be preaching. Um, he's not looking for the biggest offering ever. He's not looking for you to give $100,000 away in the offering plate, although we would appreciate that. So, um, He's not even looking for you to read your Bible 24 hours a day. That'd be pretty boring. He's not looking for mindless rituals. He's looking for an intentional heart. Um, and that's easier said than done. But God is looking for an intentional heart. And verse 8 declares three expectations of God for his people. And I think this is on how we can have an intentional heart. So I'm going to dive into the first one. Number one, do what is right. Or depending what uh, translation you read, it could be do justice, seek justice, do what is right. So Micah, in the chapters leading up to this, he's condemning the corruption of the kingdoms. Um, it's clear that the leaders were taking advantage of the poor. They chased greed. They exploited the marginalized. They lived for their own glory, uh, and they made their way to the top using any means necessary. They lived in a culture where classes were divided. Poor was really poor. Rich were really rich. And it was a systematic problem, and the leaders were the only people that benefited from it. So the system was broken, and it needed repair. And unfortunately, I feel like we live in that exact same world today. Um, our world is plagued with similar problems. And that's why I think these words of Micah, the prophet, um, are in cries, not just to ancient Israel, but to us today as followers of Jesus. Because God expects us to do what is right 
and it's not a nice idea, it's actually a command. And this passage reveals that God expects Christians, that's what we call ourselves now, but God expects his followers to be initiators of justice. So what does that look like? I, I think at church, and one of the hardest things I like have a problem with at church and in youth group, whenever we're in small group talking, is it's always nice to throw around ideas. Like, let's be initiators of justice. Like, give a voice to the voiceless. Stand up for those that society rejects. But how do we actually do that? Um, I think there's lots of ways. But one way that kind of comes to my mind um, is you can volunteer in justice-driven nonprofits. Um, we have quite a good relationship with the Mustard Seed who help people experiencing homelessness. You could volunteer there. You can volunteer at a lot of places. They don't even need to be religious nonprofits. I think that's one way that we can be initiators of justice. And I think it's a way that we are called to be initiators of justice because God's heart beats for the marginalized and ostracized in society. And that's all throughout the Bible. I read my Bible, weirdly enough, 13 times last year. Um, and it's insane to think how many times God brings up the poor and the marginalized, the widow, the ostracized. God's heart beats for it. And ours should beat to the same rhythm. And that's like, we, we have to align with God's heart and priorities. And how do we know God's heart and priorities? Well, we can read his word, but that brings me to my second point. And I'm actually going to go out of order of the way Micah lists it, because I think um, it should go in this order, because I'm more important than Micah. So <clears throat> I'm going to say, so we did do, do what is right, but I'm going to do number two, walk humbly with God. I want to skip ahead to this one because I think it ties into mercy quite well. Um, and I also think this is how we can truly align with God's heart um, and priorities. So walk humbly with God. Walk in the ancient context. It wasn't like a nice casual stroll through Fish Creek Park. Um, it actually meant like your entire life journey. Um, all throughout the Psalms, you're like, uh, you just hear walk as your life journey. So Micah expects every step of your life to be connected to God. God's presence should be part of your path. And it shouldn't just be part of your path. It should be the most important part. Um, we are called to humbly walk with God. So the dictionary definition of humbly is in a way that shows or suggests a modest or low estimate of one's importance. And that's kind of hard for me because um, I tell myself quite highly like I'll walk into any room um, and I think I'm the coolest person in that room. Um, I instantly judge everyone based on what they're wearing. I'm like, oh, that person has no style. That person doesn't skateboard. That person doesn't have tattoos. I call them normies, that's what we call them. Um, so I, I'm constantly elevating myself above people, but I also elevate myself above God probably every day of my life, which is quite ironic to me because I actually have tattooed on my hand he is greater than I. So I could look down and be reminded every day that God is greater than me, but I don't. <laughs> um, but what Micah is saying is if we truly want to be in line with God, we have to lower ourselves and our expectation of ourselves. You are not more important than God um, on this journey of life. Humility is critical to your spiritual journey. Simply put, it's not about you, so get out of the way. It's about God. And the, we are lucky, Micah didn't have this experience, but we are lucky um, enough to know and see God revealed in Jesus. 
You could go to church every Sunday. You could go to small groups. You could give away a lot of money to charity. You could volunteer, which I just told you to do in my last point. But you could do all of that and still miss what God calls us to. Because I think what good is all of that if you don't actually have an intentional heart that yearns for doing what is right. I'm talking about like go outside of those times. So yeah, you can go volunteer at the mustard seed, feel very good about yourself. But outside of those times, what do you do in your everyday life? Um, maybe you ignore someone experiencing homelessness every day on the way to work. Maybe you're rude or unforgiving um, to friends or family or people in your life. And one of my favorite memes, I should have brought it. If you don't know what a meme is, you can talk to me after. But one of my favorite pictures online is a lady worshiping in church. And then that same lady um, is being very rude to a waitress at like Ricky's or Denny's or something right after worship service. God is saying what Mike is calling us to and what God expects of us is every moment of our life, our heart should yearn to do what is right and to love mercy. God is calling us to do what is right in every aspect of our lives because our character is greater than our rituals. And that is the whole story of the Good Samaritan. Um, I'm not gonna get into it today for the sake of time, but if you need a reminder on God's heart, go read that parable. And I think when we truly walk in humility, we start to see what God calls us to every day. And we can start aligning um, with God's priorities and God's heart and start mirroring God's character. And humility is directly attached to mercy because if you don't um, lower yourself, then you're not going to be very merciful to people. Which brings me to my third point, love mercy. God expects us to love mercy, not just do mercy. Um, so Micah's teaching us that we should be imitators of God. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, meaning we should embody his attributes. And one of the more common Hebrew words to describe God's love toward his people, and I'm not fluent in Hebrew. Um, I just Googled this. Well, I mean, I used Logos, but um, I'm more fluent in Greek. So I am smart in one language. But in the Hebrew word is hesed. And that's the word here for mercy. And that translates to kindness, loving kindness, unconditional love, mercy, or just general overall goodness. God is merciful, so we should be merciful. God is kind, so we should be kind. God is forgiving, so we should be forgiving. And even greater still, we aren't just called to show these attributes and to do them, we're actually called to love doing them. And I think that's why this is the hardest one, because in my opinion, I don't think any of us actually love mercy. Like, do you really love mercy? I don't. I think I, I really love mercy when it's someone or something I agree with. But what about mercy towards someone who did something horrible that doesn't deserve it? Uh, what about mercy towards someone that looks different than us? What about mercy towards someone who thinks the exact opposite the way you think? <clears throat> what about mercy towards someone we think is actively living in sin. I think it's one thing to say that we love mercy, but it's another thing altogether um, in actually showing it and loving showing it. Because I think as Christians in the North American culture, we can kind of get caught up in our beliefs and our theological right to these beliefs. We're like, oh, this is my theology. I think, but we miss the point of what God's calling us to. Um, and it's people, not theology. 
And this is where Jesus backs up Micah's words. um, And he doubles down on justice and mercy being God's heart. So I want to look at two stories in Matthew. Um, I'm going to start in Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. I always find that kind of funny. He just like follows him. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Kind of sounds like the way Christians talk today. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And then in Matthew 23, 23, when Jesus is going to town on the Pharisees and religious leaders, he says this, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Um, the older I get and the more I read my Bible, uh, the more I realize that I'm a Pharisee. Um, Because if you're a theology, and mine has done this many times in my life, but if your theology puts your ideas and rituals and habits and beliefs above showing mercy to and loving people, then you aren't following Jesus. Go make your own religion. And I will gladly die on that hill because that's the hill that Jesus actually died on. That's why he went to the cross. To show literally every living person mercy. And we're called to mirror that same mercy. And I think that's why, if we're being honest, that's why following Jesus is the hardest thing in the world to do. Because I don't like a lot of people, and I don't like a lot of things in this world, but I'm called to show mercy and love those people that I really don't like. Jesus' entire life showed us what we need to love, that we need to love, forgive, and show mercy. His entire life is a testament of God's character to us. People are more important than our theology and our character, intentional heart is more important than our rituals and our worship. We need intentional hearts behind our actions. God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Um, Just to close, I wanna do a little illustration that I thought was kind of funny when I was thinking about this sermon. Um, When I was a teenager, which is longer ago than I'm willing to admit now, the older I get, holy. But when I was a teenager, there was a very popular teenage drama show called The O.C. And it had a bit of a resurgence, I think, in the past couple years. So some younger people might know what it is. Some older people are like, I don't even know what that is. But there's a show called The O.C. And there's this actor, Adam Brody. He plays a character on the show named Seth Cohen. And my friend and I, every day after school, you actually had to, there was no Netflix, so you actually had to watch it on TV at the time it aired, which is wild. We would, after school, we'd get together and watch it. And Seth Cohen, we loved him. He was awesome. And we realized 
that every girl we knew and all these girls online also loved Seth Cohen. So we're like, hey, if we want to get girls, we can just adopt Seth Cohen's entire personality. And that's what we did. We started dressing like him. We started listening to the same bands he listens to. Uh, we started using his humor and sarcastic wit. And what we found out is it worked surprisingly well. <laughs> like weirdly. Um, so if you ever want to pick up girls, just adopt a famous actor's personality from a show. But why am I saying this? Um, because that attention was like the most important thing at that time of my life. And we begin to reflect what is most important to us. We honestly do. And if we say that our relationship with God is important to us, then I think we should reflect his attributes to those around us. Justice, mercy, forgiveness, and love. Growing closer to God means growing deeper in love, richer in mercy, and more active in justice. And when we closely walk with God, we become more like him. Um, so that's my call to you today. Because the people that both Micah and Jesus prophesied to had a twisted view uh, of their role in God's world. They made massive sacrifices outwardly, but refused to live in a way that truly pleased God inwardly. And these passages of scripture are still a call to true worship for ancient Israel and for us today. So let's live a life that pleases God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you that, that you went to the cross um, to die for our sins, Lord, um, ultimately to show mercy to every living human being, um, both, both past, present, and future, God. And we, we pray that we could use your example um, and that we could go out into the world, um, into our city, into our neighborhoods, Lord, and we can truly show mercy love and forgiveness. And not only can we show it, but Lord, I pray that you'd be working in our hearts um, that we would act actively love showing it. And Lord, we thank you for this place um, and that we can worship you today. And I pray that you would give us all intentional hearts, um, that we don't just show up here to worship, but that we show up here, um, yeah, to be called to something greater and to be encouraged and motivated um, to following you and living a life that pleases you. Pray this in your name. Amen.